Hey everyone, so this episode is a very open, candid discussion about mental health. There will be discussion about suicide and heavy drug use in the episode. I will include the timestamps for both of those topics in the show notes if you want to skip them, Uh, but otherwise, please enjoy the episode. I just wanted to include the trigger warning at the beginning. Thanks. Okay, thank you guys for coming back to listen to another episode. I have my friend Preston Taylor with me. Hi, Preston. Hey, Danielle. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm glad to hear it, and I'm doing well as well. Thank you very much for asking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so today I've been trying to find someone who's willing to speak openly about mental health, um, especially a man. I feel like men in general, but especially Black men, don't talk about it and really aren't encouraged to talk about it like no one's like tell me all your problems to black men um so not usually (laughs) so i want to have a discussion about that today so what kind of messages and ideas did you hear about mental health when you were growing up like in general or like black men yeah for men black men in general i feel like i didn't hear any Oh, there wasn't anything to speak of. It was um, talk to people if you had to, which was really it. Like, just don't be afraid to ask for help, which I mean, like in itself is good advice, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't ever practiced deeper than that. It was always just like, oh, if I needed help moving something, don't try and hurt my back doing it by myself. Just (laughs) ask for help. Um, There was never really anything about depression. It was just you're in a funk or you're in a rut. Mm-hmm. Um, and something my grandpa always told me was like, always have somewhere to go and something to do when you get there. Mm-hmm. And while it is practical advice, it's just, it seems very just finalistic or just, I don't know, like it just seems fatalistic. Sorry. I don't, mm-hmm. I think I tried to put two words together, <laughs> but, um, it just, it just means just go, just do something. Don't worry about whatever else is going on, which is freeing, but also damning because you just need to acknowledge what else is going on mm-hmm. and stuff, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think mental health as a kid, I feel like it was, I just heard a lot of stuff about like the nut house and people going mm-hmm. crazy and, but, oh yeah, crazy. Everybody calling people psychopaths on TV and like mm-hmm. sociopaths. That got big like yes. around like 2010. <laughs> but there wasn't any mature discussion about it or there was no idea that all of us or most of us could be dealing with some form of, you know, mental health concerns. And I think that's why when you start experiencing it, you kind of don't have the tools to recognize what's going on and you feel like if you ignore it it will go away Mm -hmm. did your family talk at all about mental health do they now um my dad is just now acknowledging that it's a thing so he constantly asks like how i'm doing Mm -hmm. which is kind of a double-edged sword because yeah i appreciate the concern because i knew he cared i know he loved me Mm -hmm. like of course i love him too but um especially when one of my good friends killed himself a few years ago, he would say things like, don't Pierre yourself. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. So, I mean, he, he means it, 
well. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's just the presentation. He's a 62 year old black dude. Like, he's not, he's, he's, he can change a little bit. There's some wiggle room, but he's pretty much who he's going to be for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, my mom has depression. So she talked to me about that for a little bit as well. So she definitely thought claims were valid, whereas before, with him, it was like, oh man, you just got to get through it. You got to get through this. You just on to the next thing. You just got to keep, just keep pushing. And I mean, like, yeah. At the end of the day, regardless of how I'm feeling, <laughs> like I, I turn 25 next month. Like that's just what you got to do. But um, uh. yeah, I I think my mom and my brother and my grandma, those are my closest family members to me. They they recognize that mental health is a thing and that mm-hmm. depression is a thing and anxiety is a thing. And those two things specifically affect a lot of people. Like I think most people are affected by one of them. Something. Right. Yeah. Um, but as far as like going to get help for it, no. I think it's very much like what what do I need to talk to somebody for? I don't want to tell someone all my business or it's not, you know, ruining my life. So Right. What, and plus like No, absolutely. And like you just want to make it seem like everything's okay because you don't see other people going to therapy that's why visibility is so important you don't hear about it people Mm -hmm. keep it close to the chest so like you think okay well him her and them over there they just got everything else going on and they're fine Mm -hmm. they have three more credits or they work 50 hour weeks or they have two jobs or a child or something and they're just something that alters their life and makes it a little bit less easy to be comfortable not ruining it by any stance, but you see that and you're thinking, why not me? Like, I can, I can do that. Like, it's fine. Like, I can just tough through it, but that's not, that's not the move. Like, you need to speak to somebody professionally. Right. I feel like that's the danger of social media because it's everybody's highlight reel and it's the best part of everybody's life. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my God, I'm not doing anything. Like, compared yeah. to this person who's in law school and starting their own business and they're a mom and they're in great shape and they're got their masters already right like you know (laughs) their man six two and around (laughs) exactly it just feels like so much and they seem happy while they're doing it so you're like nobody posts those uh crying insecure selfies at night mm -hmm. when you're snapchatting your friend because you don't think you got it together right that, that ends up on the finster for real, I guess. Like some people are really <laughs> exposing themselves there, which is, you know, like a, a good outlet sometimes, you know, a healthy outlet. If you feel as if it's a safe place, you, you have people that follow you that can understand and empathize. Mm-hmm. So you don't have this fear of being judged or being looked down upon for any kind of issue you're struggling with. Like mm-hmm. I can see people venting on social media, on Instagram, but I mean, in the, main thing absolutely not it's always the best of everything it's the best of everything um really interesting meme quality and funny animal videos and arrest the police officers that killed brianna taylor right exactly that's that's it (laughs) that's all instagram needs to be not necessarily in that order (laughs) right so do you mind talking about your struggles with mental health and when you first noticed them all right so growing up i mean still today because i didn't get the surgery yet i have one foot that's been wider than the other one 
and because of that it made it a bitch to get shoes cleats boots anything like that i only ever had like a pair or two of shoes at any given time and they were always really expensive because they were either custom made or two different pairs and because of that something as insignificant as having shoes i just felt inferior I just felt like I couldn't dress because I couldn't. Oh, absolutely not. Just don't look at the lost files from 2007 to 2014. <laughs> it was it was a bad time, but um, still not that great. But, you know, I'm working on it. I got the socks up. But basically, kids noticed that insecurity. I was also heavy, had a high, high-pitched voice, wore glasses, had an afro, braces, the whole nine. And it was just bad. And in middle school, a couple of kids called me depressed which was what was which was wild like now it's pretty hilarious i'm not gonna lie like (laughs) the fact that 12 13 year olds came up with that i was like at the time it hurt a lot very badly but uh (laughs) now it's just like no like y'all should be writing for somebody like that was oh my god did y'all peak in seventh grade like but yeah and i was not very cool you know the whole chess club video game club I had tits. It just wasn't a good time. People like dudes used to flick them. It just wasn't a good time at all. You just felt bad about yourself. You had to change for the first time in the locker room for gym. And I just never felt comfortable. And I didn't get any attention from the women. And that naturally got me down as well because I thought, why not me? Started getting some toxic thoughts. Mm-hmm. Started just feeling just really down on myself felt like I didn't deserve any kind of consideration or anything like that didn't really talk to anybody about it I mean some people knew if they were there but didn't really say much um high school happened wasn't good at sports but still played (laughs) (laughs) and while I was starting to like kind of just accept where I was at everything else started changing like I got taller I got in better shape because I was doing sports and um I got my locks started and just felt more confident. Oh, I was doing musicals. I was in choir. I was like at the top of everything. I was in great shape at that time too, because I just, the gym was like therapy for a while after my like sophomore year. But um, still on the inside, I just felt like I had something to prove. Like I felt like nobody gave me a shot. I just felt bad. I felt uh, really wrathful, like very vindictive. When people did things to me, I would always just, take it immediately too far just a personal affront to me it was not great mm-hmm. um I didn't value myself really I just kind of let complacency go I didn't study hard I just graduated did my thing it wasn't until about like senior year when I started looking at actually being diagnosed with depression like I went and talked to like a doctor about like some bad feelings I had and then I had a couple of psych evals and they said that I had depression, no anxiety or anything else like that, but just generalized depression. And it was, I mean, I was like, okay, cool. Like, what does that change? <laughs> it wasn't like I was actively feeling like I wanted to harm myself so, and I wasn't a threat to anyone else. So they didn't really take it forward past that. They just said I needed to speak to somebody and they recommended some therapists, never really went. Then I went to college. A chance to be a new person, got some new shoes, new outfits, taller, pretty much peaked, got some attention. I was at a PWI, so people didn't look like me, and (laughs) they wanted me around to, you know, 
cover up their closet in racist ways. Every time a Juicy J song came on, they would always just look at me because, <laughs> you know, every fifth word was something they were hoping that I was okay with them saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I felt appreciated, even if it was just as a token, because men and women wanted to be around me for whatever reason. And I wasn't necessarily used to that. And I don't know. It was just, it was a crazy time because up until that point, I felt like I finally gotten a handle on it. Mm-hmm. And like, I was just coping, coasting. And then like around fall 2017, I had a bad mental breakdown, like real bad. Had some choice conversations with my father dragged myself to sleep, didn't leave my room for three days, failed all my classes that semester, just didn't do much of anything, started doing more drinking, drugs, just to cope and everything, and just wasn't a good place, but I liked not being present because I felt as if it, it was already the beginning of my fifth year, felt as if I wasn't doing well enough, I realized I didn't want to be in college, I um, didn't care about a job, didn't, there wasn't anything in particular I wanted to do, still really isn't, but you know, I'm working towards figuring what that is now. Mm-hmm. And um, it took a long time from there to even salvage anything academically or emotionally or socially, but then after a few months of just sulking, I just kind of had my mom and some friends kick me in the ass and tell me that I needed to go start getting help and everything because I just didn't want to wake up. I'll just be asleep all day. And I had some pretty bad depressive episodes around then and after then I wasn't sleeping at night, barely eating, but still gaining weight. It was crazy. But then after leaving JMU, I actually got to go to therapy, felt like I finally had time for it. I could finally afford it with a job. And it helped to have somebody professional to talk to about it, for real. Mm-hmm. Never would have thought about it because nobody suggested it. But I mean, there were some good programs at school, like Center for Multicultural Student Services Mm. or other organizations, they would definitely prioritize Black health and everything. Mm. And that was probably Black mental health, rather. And that was the first time I ever heard about that as a separate concept. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I thought depression was a white person thing until I realized that there was Black mental health. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. it was a a wild time. But I guess college did teach me something. That, thank you so much for sharing that. I think mm-hmm. more people need to just hear Black men talking about it. Like, it's it's normal and it's happening to a lot of people. I feel like growing up, you know, I, ha- I grew up with a family of skinny people and people who were skinny when they were my age. Like, they didn't get big until they had kids. So like, but you're not big. (laughs) I know what you meant, but uh, not small. I'm anyways, but you are perfect. How you are. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But my family was very, you know, down on my weight. And I think most of the time when I was growing up, I didn't really like think about there being a problem with my appearance until somebody else pointed it out to me like did you ever think that that looks bad and I'm like oh I I mean I guess (laughs) (laughs) sure thanks like I didn't even I had braces in high school and I didn't even Mm -hmm. know I needed them and I didn't even want them until my mom was like you're going to get braces 
You oh. need them. I'm gonna take you to go get them. Let's go. I mean, I'm glad it's I got them. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Three braces. <laughs> right, but I just it. I didn't even realize it was something that I should be concerned about. Um, mm-hmm. I think most of my issues with anxiety and depression started with college. Um, I hated JMU when I started freshman year. Yeah. You know, I grew up like I have a brother, but he's way older than me. So for the most part, it was just me and my mom. And our house is pretty big for two people. So there's always a lot of space to separate and like have your own space. Never shared a bathroom, like none of that stuff. So sharing a room freshman year with another person, sharing a bathroom with two oh the <laughs> girls that I shared a bathroom with are disgusting. Like they were just nasty. And <laughs> and it was Ooh. always loud, like every single night somebody was I swear people would just do sprints down our hallway. Like it was always just loud and I were they leaving, it. Were they leaving uh strands of hair on the shower wall? Yeah, I'm like, what are you doing? Like taking hair out of your head and just pasting it to the wall? It was so gross. It was <laughs> disgusting. Um, <laughs> and you know, I I grew up in Woodbridge, which is pretty multicultural. JMU is not, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was just a big culture shock to be around that many white people. I don't even think JMU is really reflective of the real world like nowhere looks like that at all all. it's not normal oh no there's places like look like that well yeah but (laughs) most of the world doesn't look like that and i oh absolutely not absolutely not i just and especially like you and i not being athletes right and i wasn't in greek life either so i was part of the five black people that was not an athlete or in greek life (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you turned out fine yeah yeah but <laughs> that was kind of when I first yeah I started to feel just like shitty and I couldn't explain it mm. I didn't know how to get out of it and once I moved off campus things were better but there were a lot of roommate tensions my sophomore year um for things that really weren't even a big deal thinking about it now but they never are when you look back right right exactly just making a big deal about nothing but I also started to smoke I did I had never smoked until right before I graduated from high school and I went Mm. from that to by the start of my sophomore year I was smoking like every day (laughs) (laughs) all the time (laughs) I know it was a lot so much money that could have gone to other things oh yeah no and i remember the progression because i was the same way except i didn't smoke until halloween weekend my freshman year Mm -hmm. and i never did before because i was just too lazy to deal with the consequences like i was home i didn't want to smell bad i was like all right i'm just not i'm just just gonna not like it's fine i shared the car with my dad i'm not gonna risk it like y'all can have fun but like at school went wild and then but I had the line. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And like, as long as it's offered to me, then right. good. And then after that, I'm like, okay, well, I might buy it, but I'm not going to have any, I'm not going to incriminate myself. But yeah, no, it was a slippery slope 
for sure. <laughs> it you always find a way to justify it once you're in. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. It's been two years actually since I quit. And congratulations. Thanks. I mean I've smoked like a handful of times. Yeah, like here and there, <laughs> but like quit habitually. Right. Yeah. I could literally count on one hand, which is crazy. But I think um I started losing weight in college too. I lost like almost 40 pounds in college. Mm -hmm. And I think I just became obsessed with trying to keep up this expectation or image of mm. perfection that I put on myself. Like I wanted to have perfect grades, look perfect, be in all these clubs and be as well-rounded and well put together as possible. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd say you did a pretty good job. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you, you, got, you did have the grade on lock. I definitely had to ask you for some help. Yeah. It's cool, though. It's cool. I'm, who, who's keeping count, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, was, it wasn't It was for me, necessarily. I think I wanted to, you know, prove people wrong. I don't know what people, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know who they were. But. Right. I just wanted to be like, they were wrong about me. And I kind of just went crazy. Like, once school was over, I'm like, okay, now what? I don't have, like, <laughs> a thing to prove that I'm worthy, really, mm. every semester. And the big accomplishments are over. So... I don't know. After I graduated from school, I started a job that I hated. I hated working at the courthouse. Mm -hmm. um, it was an hour and a half drive there every single day. And just dealing with angry people. Like, no one goes to the courthouse in a good mood. Oh, never. So, <laughs> and I would just get yelled at. My boss hated me. Like, I would straight up get ignored at work. And like, I would say hi and people would be like, mm -hmm. and it's crazy being treated like you don't exist. Was it because you're black? I sort of think so. There was another black girl, but she licked ass a lot. So they liked her, but. I mean, some people are into that. <laughs> but. I've heard. I just hated it. And I'm glad you're out of that situation because yeah. that didn't seem sustainable at all. Right. I found a new job and then I was just, you know, I think weight will always be a thing for me because it's been something that I've been insecure about for a long time. So I gained weight a little bit before graduation and then I met my boyfriend and gained more weight. And I was like, fuck, I'm back at the weight I was that I when I started college. Mm. Um, and it's been difficult and being here at home now, I didn't realize, cause I'm not an extroverted person, mm. but I didn't realize how much I really liked having a schedule, like getting up and doing the same thing pretty much every day was very comforting for me. And, Absolutely. you know, I'm not trying to go out into the world and go to brunch and parties like some people are doing just because I want to do it <laughs> like I recognize that we should all be at home so that's what mm. I'm doing but it's really hard and I do feel still from college that constant pressure to perform 
and to have something to show for the time I've been spending. And yeah. I just feel like you can't just be sitting on your ass, right? Like that's right. just like you have to give the people what they want to see, and that's just success to go along with all the other successful things they're seeing. Yeah, that's so true. I always feel the pressure to be doing something to succeed, to look like I have something going on. Um, and being at home like this, I've been doing everything slower. And mm-hmm. it's been very tough. I haven't gone back to therapy. I went to the counseling center when I was at JMU. Um, How was that? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, I had JMU. I don't think they have any people of color doing counseling. Oh, no, they don't. They so, don't. right. I had a white woman. She was really nice. I liked her. And I liked being able to, like, go and talk to her about the things that, you know, I thought were trivial um, and weren't worth, like, sharing with my friends mm-hmm. because I was scared of what they would think. And, you know, she validated a lot of my thoughts and feelings, which was cool, Mm. but, you know, sometimes white people just don't get it in the same way. She would never, that was something my mom helped me out with um, recently, because I just recently stopped seeing my therapist, but only because the dynamic got weird. I don't know, he was trying to relate, and then ended up telling me about all of his stories when he was in college. Yeah, but I mean, I, suffice it to say, it was interesting having a black male therapist for the first time ever. Shout out, shout out, Mr. McKenzie. But um, <laughs> he had a lot of interesting insight, and he very much cared about what I had to say. And he waived the price a little bit, which was always That's awesome. always a considerable thing. Like I just, I never thought that somebody would care that much, and he was like. I'm not going to have you pay me if we don't get some work done. Mm -hmm. And so like, it was a bit of a sliding scale based on what we actually accomplished, which I mean was very appreciated Mm -hmm. and he's a really good guy. I check in with him every now and again, but it was definitely better than, I mean, no offense to all the qualified, educated and, you know, intelligent white women therapists out there. Mm -hmm. They do their job well, as well as they can. And they have all the tools and everything like that. But like you said, it's just different when it's somebody that gets you. Mm-hmm. Like, have you had have you had good luck with finding a woman of color as a therapist? I haven't. I'm looking right now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying to see is it safe because I do want to go in person at least to meet them for the first time. Right. Um, but you know, with all the stuff that's going on, I don't know if most offices are open. Right. You don't want you don't want to zoom with them. You don't want to zoom right. with them and just not know that their pants are off. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to like feel their energy in person, mm-hmm. and then choose somebody. And I want to see like a couple different people, like for one session, just to feel out who yeah. I like the best. Um, but yeah, did you tell anybody? Like, did your most of your friends and stuff know when you were going to therapy? Um, I've never been one to just tell people things. I mean, mm-hmm. like if you ask me, I'll tell you. Right. I didn't. I didn't hide it, mm-hmm. but I wasn't screaming out to the mountaintops. <laughs> and I mean, it wasn't even that I was feeling bad about it or ashamed. I just generally think because I 
I listen to a lot of people's problems a lot of the time. So, I mean, and, and there's nothing against those people. And I've chosen that. Like, I've chosen to be there for them and be that friend for them in those mm-hmm. times of need. But, like, I can definitely appreciate when somebody knows that they've said too much or they've just said a lot in general mm-hmm. and they kind of start dialing it back like there's always more time tomorrow right. like everybody always has their own thing going on so I mean yes they have to listen and yes they're there for you and since they said they were going to be there they can't get mad if you decide to open up but at the same time just being aware of your time and your space and the time and space of others and so I just, if somebody asks me, I open up about it immediately. I tell them any, if anybody asked about anything else that was going on in my life, I would tell them mm-hmm. really. That's one of the reasons I felt like I didn't need therapy for the longest time. Cause I'm like, it's not like I have anything really to say that I haven't been saying for four or five years or so. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't have a lot of friends. Like, you know, a lot of people, I do not. <laughs> um, so I think, all four of my friends knew that I was going to the counseling center. <laughs> um, well, I didn't, so I guess I'm not one of those four. You didn't know? Mm-mm. We mm. talked about a lot of things, but not not, not that. See, that's that in itself. Think about that. Huh. I don't think we've ever spoken about mental health before outside of the yeah. things that we were talking about with uh, On the Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did tell my friends I don't know if I told my family I don't think I would have kept it a secret from them I do think I want to find a black woman just because I don't know that white people have the same pressure to succeed and to perform and to make something of yourself that people of color do especially like children of immigrants my parents aren't immigrants but I've just from being around children of immigrants i'm like geez so if you don't become incredible. a doctor your life is over you're getting cut out of the will <laughs> right. you're not invited back for christmas mm-hmm. like though you, you get beaten you're like mom i'm 26 and she's like <laughs> why are you not a doctor I'm like, <laughs> uh, dave chappelle's talked about it he said the difference between poor black people and poor white people is that poor white people think it shouldn't be happening to them right right I mean, like that's the thing they they get a head start I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sorry for all those people out there <laughs> that mm-hmm. don't think generational wealth is a thing, <laughs> but uh, I don't think anybody that listens to this podcast is in that group. But, you know, in case it reaches those people, we all white people got a head start. That's I literally that's <laughs> watched generational wealth happen across the street from me. My neighbors, like these old white people, they're either the first or second owners of this house. The house is like 30 or 40 years old. Mm. they upgraded it redid the kitchen the basement whole thing is great um while they were still owning this house they built a lake house and like i watched their daughter on her wedding day get ready there and now their daughter and her husband i mean they bought it quote unquote but like at a what did did they spend a grandkid (laughs) right (laughs) right so now she has the house and she has two little kids and a dog and all of that. And I bet anything, one of them kids is going to get the house, whichever yeah. one gets married first. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they literally just passed a house down to their kids. And so they can raise their kids in that house and do the same thing their parents did. Build the house on a lake and then pass it down to the next person. And yep. that is a big 
deal like that's a big head start and if you want to you could rent out the house or rent out a room in the house and just have extra income and absolutely we don't get those kind of opportunities yeah because redlining is a myth right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know the income streams for um schools people think that oh all those schools get the same funding it's from the no it's not it's not from the federal government mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. from people that live in the immediate vicinity and if they ain't got it your school ain't got it and right it's just being able to compound years and years of just wealth and property mm-hmm. just assets it's <laughs> it's just crazy to think that it wasn't even possible for us to have them mm-hmm. not too long ago and even now that we're allowed to we're it's like we're the white people 400 years ago. Right. <laughs> like right. we're just now starting. We're all new money. Like, I just. Exactly. And there's a know. lot of pressure. At least I feel like there's a lot of expectation for my family to be the one that does it. Like, mm-hmm. it's your job. It was my job to finish college and graduate. And it will be my job to, you know, get married and then have kids. And- <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to <laughs> do it right. Right. And buy the house and do all of the stuff the right way. The house um, big enough for rooms for everybody. You're right. Nobody sharing rooms. And right. Like space for my mom to move in and all of that stuff. And I'm like, uh, this is too much. This is so much pressure. And of course, everybody achieves things at different times. But when everyone's posting like 24 and I just bought my house and I'm like right am I supposed to be doing that already oh my god married Mm -hmm. Married, having kids regional manager of like uh, (laughs) (laughs) whatever like it's just oh I'm so happy own my own business and I'm like I remember watching you do coke in a bathroom (laughs) counter in Sunchase four years ago exactly so do your friends, your black male friends, talk to you when they're feeling depressed or anxious? And do you talk to them when you're feeling the same way? Not all the time, but I mean, I think these last few years has opened up a lot of people's minds towards reaching out for help and speaking out when you need to um, get help or when you need some kind of support, or you need some kind of validation. and. My fraternity for sure has had a lot of brothers. We have a lot of, um, excuse me, um, mental health initiatives that are, I mean, they were kind of like late coming, but they still are there and they're able to keep people accountable for each other. Mm -hmm. Like being our brother's keeper and reaching out. There was like a challenge. We challenged each other to reach out to a brother at every hour of the day at some point. Wow. Like just to just to develop some kind of connection, some kind of relationship, and uh, it's I mean because you don't you don't you don't strike it off with everybody, mm-hmm. and you're not best friends with everybody. Like I mean, you develop that respect, you have that common ground, and you have somewhere to come back to when it's homecoming season, mm-hmm. and for weddings, birthdays, funerals, what have you. But some of those guys, like there's some. 40, 50-year-old dudes, 60-year-old dudes that I've had some very deep and meaningful conversations with and when they've lived that much life 
and that bravado kind of gets to fade away with age and time and love and loss and all that good stuff. Then you get some real meaty conversations when they're just talking about how they feel and how they didn't get to spend all of that time posturing and peacocking when they're younger, feeling how they missed out on relationships, opportunities to grow or be employed or educate themselves because that wasn't the manly thing to do where they had to just project this macho aura to Mm -hmm. keep people off of them because you didn't want to be perceived as feminine of course you didn't want to be perceived as like empathetic or uh caring or like a good listener like you're a man you're supposed to penetrate the situation not be penetrated by it Mm -hmm. like it's just not a fun time usually so having those men the overwhelmingly black men being able to sit and talk on even footing without any fear of being judged or anything like that is just a beautiful thing before that not so much but now I feel like I'm encountering it a lot more that's awesome Mm. I I do think it's definitely an older people thing like my mom I don't know hearing my about my mom's childhood and even like my grandma's life I'm like, you, you were like, you went through a lot of stuff, a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. and you are kind of, they've, I think my mom has talked to somebody before, but I might've never like actually dealt with it. Right. And I'm like, this is a problem. Like, I think the attitude before, even with people our age up until recently was kind of just, you know yeah i mean shit happens like deal with yeah, it <laughs> everybody same shit different toilet like that's right and it's been good to hear my mom you know my mom and i are really close open up about stuff that's happened to her and how it affects her mm-hmm. um but i'm not a therapist so i feel like just because you have you know friends or family members you can talk to I don't know what to tell you to do about that. Like, (laughs) eventually you might need to talk to a professional. And you got to be aware of that because like people would be telling all of their secrets and all of their insecurities to people that are just there to serve as an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. Keep telling them all the stuff they want to hear. Being that toxic little devil on their shoulder when you need somebody that's impartial, doesn't know you from a can of paint, getting Mm -hmm. paid to literally listen and help you out without knowing all the people, all the stuff involved and invested in. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a sad day when you realize you cut off some good people in your life when they're trying to help you because you're listening to somebody else that's jealous that you have them. Mm -hmm. That is very, very true. And it's difficult sometimes, even when you do realize, like, this relationship that I have isn't healthy, or I don't feel like this person is really here for me, but how do how do I let them go, you know? I don't like, want to look stupid. Like, right. what, what about the people that were telling me to stop earlier on? Mm-hmm. And now I have to, you know, tuck my tail between my legs and walk over and say, y'all were right right they're trash oh I'm pride sorry. will mess with your brain <laughs> absolutely you have to do all kinds of crazy for what like they're gonna rip on you regardless if they're your friends they're gonna give you crap for it with or without them you might as well just bite the bullet and move forward right i've definitely had the feeling of like 
well, they know so much about me. Like, if I let this go, this friendship go, then they're going to tell everybody my secrets. And it's like, all right, but they're probably already doing it. And oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I yeah, mean, absolutely. Exactly. So you might as well cut them off and have your peace of mind. Peace of mind is something that we definitely need more of in this world. Mm-hmm. because there's so many things to actually worry about. There's so many things that are legitimately troubling. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm not trying to invalidate anybody or their experiences because we all deal with some things that are equally traumatic and upsetting and affect us in various ways, but they could always be worse. Mm-hmm. And if it's something you have control over, like if a friendship or a romantic relationship is that um stress inducing or anxiety inducing it is not that's your responsibility that's your responsibility to remove yourself Mm -hmm. it's easier said than done easier said than done like we're all just like shaking our heads like "Mm, how could you ever do that like (laughs) (laughs) but we've all been there okay so what ways have you coped with your mental health concerns or issues in the past and have those changed yeah they definitely changed because at first it was um working out once i made like jv and varsity football um we were we had mandatory workouts and i'd like done martial arts i'd done uh soccer and basketball that magical age we played every sport Mm -hmm. but um once i was actually in high school had a good strength coach and had a bunch of guys that were like ahead of me and older than me that just looked huge and looked dominant and looked confident and had a good time. I was like, I wanted to do that. Didn't realize how much body dysmorphia I also had because I just, no matter how big I got, no matter how cut I got, I just didn't like it. I mean, I, I appreciated the improvement, but mm-hmm. it was such a high getting in the gym, especially when I started putting up numbers and I got, I started getting stronger and it was great. Um, then I got to college and I was still kind of doing that until about sophomore, junior year. And then I started just spending more time in classes, changed my major at the, around that time. So I had to like catch up and um, the, yeah, the sociology. So it was all reading. I really couldn't go to the gym because all I had to do was read. And um, then I started going doing, doing more drugs mm-hmm. all the time. And it was just to dissociate to just numb, just make me okay with everything else. Like, because my body was breaking down, I was getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Like I um, was playing flag football, tore my meniscus, um, had the step show, practiced on the <laughs> messed up knee a couple of times, performed on it. Yeah, it was bad. Like I was really sweaty, mm-hmm. but you couldn't see the tears because I was uh-huh. so sweaty. And yeah, so I had to get that worked out too. But um, it was, first it was just weed then like acid shrooms the occasional coke zan there was a there's a xanax period that is thankfully very brief mm-hmm. um painkillers molly wow like honestly if it wasn't like crack meth heroin or ketamine i was like I might try it once, like see mm-hmm. what it's like. Just I want, I wanted to know. That was like my self harm. Mm-hmm. I never, and I never really had a bad experience. Was the worst part. Like I never like 
I never like had like an awful trip or anything. So mm-hmm. I thought that I was like, okay, I'm good off that. I can just keep going, which was the worst thing. Like I, mm-hmm. if anything, I needed some kind of wake up call to make me think, okay, maybe this isn't sustainable. Granted that came with time because now that I have a job, I can't be doing all that craziness. And I just really sleep. Sleep was the next one after I like stopped going. Well, it wasn't going crazy, but after I stopped worrying my friends, Mm-hmm. I just started just going to sleep all the time because mm-hmm. I just didn't have to deal with anything. I could be guilt-free and turn my phone on airplane mode. And even when I woke up, just kept it there, just didn't <laughs> talk to anybody. And so I guess I'm really just still at the sleep part. And uh, I'm working on it with alarms and keeping myself busy and having a job in the morning helps me too be more of a morning person but it's mostly just sleep now yeah I think I coped with um the pressure to overachieve by overachieving at the wrong things like (laughs) when I don't know if it was weight then it was like I'm gonna lose the most weight and be Mm. I mean I've never been like skinny but like as small as I've ever been if it Mm -hmm. was smoking then it was like well I'm gonna smoke every day (laughs) and yeah (laughs) right it doesn't make any sense but I just went just down these like paths of non-productivity um Mm -hmm. and just went really hard at them I think smoking was something that made me feel like cool but also (laughs) numb i mean at a certain point if you're smoking every day like you're not getting super hot at all at all you're You're, just doing it for the habit you're wasting money it's part of your routine Mm -hmm. and except it's not useful like most not productive at all yeah i mean i don't necessarily think anyone has to quit 100 percent. yeah um but if it affects your life right then you should stop but there's no reason to smoke every day. And more than like a few times a week, I feel like it's weird. I, I feel like smoking every week is kind of doing a lot too. But I just, every time I've smoked in the past couple of years, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, it, doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like me anymore. This feels on like- that mid, that's all it was. <laughs> That's all it was. If it was <laughs> she was no. on that giggity gas. You wouldn't be thinking about that. You just, no. You'd be I, like, how do I? You'd be like, how do I get off the skin on my arm? <laughs> but it just didn't feel like it was me, and mm-hmm. I feel like my coping kind of moved to journaling, which once again I was still doing it every day. Like I have to do this every day. Oh, I listened to that podcast. Yeah. yeah, I haven't journaled. I journaled a couple weeks ago, but honestly, for like three months, I did not look at my journal, write in it, think about it. I um, personally hate it. I hate journaling. journaling. Why? I tried it for some, it's. I'm just lazy. <laughs> and I watched a lot of news as a children, as a child. As a children. children. <laughs> I, yeah, no, during my formative years. I watched a lot of news and didn't have any siblings, so I only spoke to adults. So early on, I had a very extensive vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And so that led to a very flowery writing style. 
so I don't know how to write simplistically. I just I just write and write and write. And I've had a few teachers tell me that I wrote, I, I wrote well, but that didn't mean that I enjoyed it. It was just, it hurt my hand after a while. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So like journaling, it just seems like, why would I do that when I could close the book mm-hmm. and go to sleep? And that was just it. Like, I would just say it out loud, like, oh yeah, I just, um, I don't feel too great about myself today, but I went to the gym and did my homework and cut the grass. So I feel like I did something night mm-hmm. and then just knock out. I guess I could write that down, even bullet points or something like you suggested, but <laughs> nah, couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's helpful, but when I'm not doing anything, like weeks are just blending together. Oh, so yeah. it's not like there's a whole bunch going on that yeah. I even have to write about. But I do prefer journaling to smoking a lot. That definitely was not healthy for me or my wallet or my lungs or anything else. Yes. And when I quit, I started drinking a lot more. Like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'd, be, I'd be messing up a bottle of wine too like oh absolutely <laughs> i was just trying to make myself sound you know like i had restraint um i'll be at lunch and they have cans of rosé or chardonnay with mm-hmm. like pizza sometimes and i'm just like yeah it's 1 30 in the afternoon right right like <laughs> <laughs> might as well i'm i'm old enough i'm mad they know my they know my name now but um <laughs> There's a Thai place down the street that has Mojito Mondays, $5. Ooh. Sis. How do you say no? I don't. That's how I say no. <laughs> it's bad. Like, I mean, I don't want to glorify alcoholism. I have a lot of it in my family. <laughs> but mm. as I started smoking less, as I started just cutting back of everything, the legal vice that's there that you can get anywhere at any time in millions of different flavors, sizes, shapes, consistencies percentages like i can see what Mm? no go ahead that that was the thing like initially i stopped smoking because i was trying to get this job um and then now i'm not really worried about that job but i just don't really want to smoke anymore but i was like okay literally every person i know (laughs) drink or smokes and since yeah. I can't smoke with you guys, then let's go to happy hour. Wine night. Oh, right. Too. Yes. Come to my house with five bottles of wine and, you know, three of us can finish them. Um, okay. So what advice would you give to other black men who are living with mental illnesses? Oh, it's not just you, bro. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's really not. And um, like, it's not. It's 2020. You can be vulnerable. I mean, that's just a dirty word a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't even mean you have to cry. It doesn't mean you have to, like, lean on somebody or touch somebody physically. You're just just asking for help. And even if you're not asking for help, check on somebody else because you don't know if you could have saved their life. Mm Like, I might get a little dark, but um, basically... Pierre, who I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, he was one of my best friends and some things happened in the friend group 
and I ended up being one of the last people that was talking to him. Mm-hmm. And it was like winter 2015, like January or so. His birthday had just passed. And um, he messaged me on Facebook and I was with my friends getting ready to um, go get on the bus to go to class. Then we're going to go to party that night. And it was just a fun time, you know, jamming parties, every natty light as far as yeah, I can see. Mm-hmm. And um, I get some messages from him and he, because I had just gotten back to JMU from from Northern Virginia. And he says, I really wish I could have seen you more before you left. Um, I love you, man. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm in class, <laughs> whatever. So, you know, bring that 13 hours in the future. I'm getting phone calls telling me that he's gone. And I'm thinking to myself, well, where'd he go? And then they correct me. They're like, no, he's he's gone. Turns out he took his life in his bathroom at, at his place. And that broke me a lot. I lost a lot of friends. And it wasn't like people were getting killed. It was just a lot of suicide. And I don't know if you have to edit it in post, but a trigger warning mm-hmm. beforehand. But um, yeah. yeah, like I just, if I had reached out, because we had hung out a couple of times over break, not too many. We had a bunch of pictures together. We used to hang out. It was all like from 2010 to about 2005. Like we just had a really good thing going then around like the end of 2014 2015 when the drama reached ahead and he wasn't speaking to as many people I was kind of moving on he was still back at home he he just uh came back from the marine corps and was doing security work and supporting his helping support his little sister and little brother and doing all this stuff and just got to be too much and I don't remember the last time I asked him how he was doing I'm not saying I would have saved him. I'm not saying that would have changed a thing. But I, at the very least, regret not responding to those messages when he sent them. Like, that's one of my, like, very serious regrets. I just said something. So if somebody reaches out, does anything, you can, it won't, it costs zero dollars and listen or to at least entertain it like you don't have to i mean i hate to say this don't be fake like you don't have to really care don't ask more questions if you don't want to hear more answers Mm -hmm. but if somebody's saying hey i just need to let something out or hey what's going on out of nowhere no punctuation Mm -hmm. you know the vibes i mean some people text like that but Mm -hmm. just just reach out that was a long story just to get back to that point like just reach mm-hmm. out to people and if not then and i'm an awful awful person at this i'll drop mm-hmm. off face the earth for a year or two at a time i just got back to, yeah i just got back to instagram after like two years of not even touching it i didn't even miss it i still can't touch t- twitter and you're not going to find me on tiktok me neither it's just i don't I'm, I'm not some old fogey i'm not trying to act mature i just can't do it but like mm-hmm. It's, it's it's easier than it's ever been to reach out to people. So the yeah. fact that we don't is just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I've been really terrible at reaching out to friends too. And I was joking about it last week um, <laughs> because I was like, I mean, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to text you though, but I should. And <laughs> I... <laughs> 
it just I've been terrible at reaching out and I think you know eventually my friends were like okay well we'll stop reaching sick out of it to right it. yeah right and I'm I get it I mean that's kind of what I wanted because I don't want to talk but it is it does matter I had a very similar situation um with a friend who I I was the friend who had cut them off for something that they did and then I was drunk when they were texting me a whole bunch of stuff about like I'm not gonna be around anymore or you know, like, I'm really sorry about what happened. Um, I just wanted to say that since I'm not going to be here. And I'm like, where are you going? I just right. did, my drunk brain didn't get it. <laughs> and then the next day I saw the messages and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, I had to do a lot of stuff to eventually get somebody to get to her house to check on her. And it was the police that I called to go to her house because nobody else could get there. And he was like, you know, I can't tell you what is going on, but thank you for calling. Like, you, she's alive, but she might not have been. And it's just, you never know what you're doing to people when you say hurtful mm -hmm. things or you abruptly end a relationship that might have mattered a lot to them. And oh, yeah. you just have to be more, I think our whole generation could benefit from learning how to be more sensitive and, you know, communicate more effectively, especially when... That makes too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you know that you see our president, well, their right. president, you see um, this capitalist society we live in, you can't care about people and succeed at the same time. I mean, you can, for sure. There's but you're not to gonna it. get that far. It's just awful actuality mm -hmm. of life. It's really not great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough to think about because I do want to have a very successful life, and, mm -hmm. but I don't want to do it at the expense of other people. I want to be able to have the empire that I dream about and pay everybody fairly and treat everybody fairly pay everybody all the way down to the lowest paid janitor in the building mm -hmm. like everybody i just i want to be able to have the level of success that i want not necessarily power i don't see myself as like a power hungry person but i want to be able to do it fairly and i have kind of accepted that to do that there's only so far you can go. I don't think most billionaires, I love Oprah, but I don't think most billionaires are like all the way good or even like mm -hmm. mostly good, to be honest. Like you had to, you had to do a lot of things. To you had to that. be really well, shitty at some point. At some point you had to just say, fuck this person, <laughs> like what they want to do in particular. That's just not what's, what's going to fly and we're going to do what i want or what my academic and financial advisors are telling me to do mm -hmm. and that's just you've got to cut have... a lot of corners Sorry. we're down to the last last few questions this mm -hmm. has been very good um oh thank you happy to be here yeah I'm, I'm so glad we're doing this how do you think your experience with mental health will impact the way you parent your children Uh, yeah, no, you 
you even prepped me on these questions now when I still haven't come up with an answer with because it's about vasectomy o'clock on this side. <laughs> what? But you don't even have I kids to, yet. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's, that's the trick. <laughs> vasectomy don't work when the kids are already out. Oh <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, so you don't want any? I mean, my, my mind might change later on. It might, who knows, but right now I can barely take care of myself. And and like plus working in this office, I'm seeing the costs that are associated with having a child, not even including childcare, transportation, food, or clothing or shelter. Just medical care in itself is enough to just make me turn myself into a unit. And um, I I mean, again, I realize that my mind might change later on, but right now that's how I'm feeling. But if I were to have children. I think it would just be patience. Mm-hmm. Just lots and lots of patience because like when we were talking about before with not reaching out and the amount of time that would pass by without hearing something or saying something to somebody, like sometimes all they need is a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Eventually they'll realize it and they'll find the courage within themselves to stick their back out there and actually say something. Mm-hmm. And everything's hard and I won't understand the problems that my kid had, but I would also very, very readily understand the problems. Like Mm -hmm. it's different, but it's similar. My dad would always tell me that there's nothing I could say, do or think that he hasn't already done before. Mm -hmm. It's all a rerun. And a lot of cases he is very, very right about that. But then there are other things you just have to deal with. Right. Um, my parents, when when Pierre passed, he was my ninth friend since middle school that had taken his own life, taken their own life. I'm so and sorry. They were like beside themselves. I mean, that's really just how it is. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, just if more people could get help, I'm not saying that would have saved them, but I mean, it could have at least helped them to consider other alternatives and. Mm-hmm. They both were talking to me thinking you had lost as many friends as we had and we're like in our 50s. Like people just didn't, I mean, people did, of course, they've been doing it for years, but people just didn't do it at the clip they were doing it at mm-hmm. <laughs> back when they were children. Yeah. And at the age I was at, my parents were just like, that's different. We didn't have to deal with that. We didn't have to deal with, like we used to leave our doors unlocked at mm-hmm. night. And when they left the house, no, never. Right. Like there's things are just bound to change. That's the only constant in life is change. So I hope that I can internalize that and put that into practice if I ever have children. So mm-hmm. I don't try and impress everything that I've learned in my life upon them because things will be different. I just wish that I can take the time to listen mm-hmm. and try to understand instead of just thinking you haven't lived any life yet. You don't understand. You don't right. know. Just give them a shot. Yeah, I definitely want, I, I want to have kids and I want my kids to, I don't, I know that they're going to be insecure about things and they're going to go through times where they're just not happy with themselves. Mm-hmm. I just don't want that to come for me. Like, I don't want them yeah. to feel uncertain about themselves or insecure about how they look or about what they want to do in life because of me like 
that. Lord knows they're going to be getting it from everywhere else. Right. Like, please let me be the person that you can come and talk to about that stuff. Because when your parents um, are the source of that, or if your parents, you know, react with anger when you do something wrong, then you're not going to tell them when you do stuff wrong. And when you're in a rough situation, unless there's absolutely no one else you can go to, you're going to avoid talking to your parents. And I just don't want my kids to feel like that's what they have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really don't want my kids to have like smartphones or be on social media until high school at the earliest. But honestly, I, I would rather wait till they're like 18. I just... Like you're gonna be you know, one of them moms. Yes. And like get them like some burner prepaid phones. Exactly. You Who you need games. to talk to? You, you got you got two games: Tetris and Snake. Exactly. Have fun. You don't need FaceTime. Talk to me. Talk with my face. I'm saying, like, invite a friend over. What do you need to talk to them for? That's cool. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I've seen. I mean, you know, we were both Valley Scholars mentors. That's how we met each other. Working mm-hmm. with. 13 year olds and oh man on their phones all the time was and, no, there was this one there was one girl sorry i was in i was in um on the road collaborative as well mm-hmm. did i say i didn't say valley scholars before i said on the road i'm sorry this yeah thing, you know this, this one kid had her tiktok account suspended and she had over 4500 followers she's like 13 and what? And she was beside herself, Danielle. She was crying. That was so much of her self-worth and so much of her value was tied up in these followers and just all of this stuff. And she was literally inconsolable. We couldn't do anything. I couldn't joke, couldn't offer her an extra snack. We couldn't pull her to the side. Like there was nothing else we could do because she was just, mm-hmm. because her account got no, not deleted, Mm-hmm. suspended she was not connected to her audience and her follower base for i don't know audience right Gosh, but <laughs> because it is right because it's almost five thousand people i mean and, okay so probably give it give it like 250 300 bots like mm-hmm. even then over over Four three thousand people yeah. over three thousand in general people are following you for whatever reason I don't know there's creepers on the internet but like, that's what i'm saying like is it children and then what they so depend on having an audience and like living their lives to show it to people mm-hmm. and i mean we kind of grew Started up it. <laughs> into that right <laughs> but we can remember life before that and if you start doing that at like 10 it's like people don't even think about it because they're so busy on their phones they give their kid a phone to distract them so that they can Suddenly do their own thing. to the world. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I just, I would rather have, you know, those weird kids who didn't get a Facebook until they were like 20. Those are going to be my kids. <laughs> I'm glad you admitted that they were weird. I didn't want you to frame it any other way. Are you going to homeschool them too? No, they're gonna ride weird. horses. No, <laughs> <laughs> no offense to all my homeschooled equestrians out there. <laughs> Shout out to all but, of y'all late Facebook bloomers too. Right, <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> I just don't want them to be because then they start following grown women, and we've already seen seventeen-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds who look like these same grown women, it's and they so don't know. 
their bodies are fake, they have on 10 pounds of makeup, and, you know, that they're editing their pictures heavily, and they're trying to live up to a standard that is impossible to look like, especially at 15 or 16. So I worry for the mental health of, like, Gen Z kids who grew up on the phone. Me too. Me too, because we grew up with the internet, and everybody thought we were the worst. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just it's just gonna get progressively worse. Just right. I mean, not it's gonna get worse before it gets better because this social media is allowing for them to be a lot more socially conscious and active, which is also yes something that's great and invaluable. Mm-hmm. And so that can't be understated. But at the same time, all of their reality exists virtually, mm-hmm. and that's how they build. They're all building brands. You're 14 right like you can't you can't legally drive and you're building your brand you like you can't rent certain movies mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> and, and you're sitting here talking about trying to be an influencer why is that a career right and on one hand i think it's amazing it's given a lot of especially a lot of people of color a chance to make money um, in a whole different way that they wouldn't have had access to because mm-hmm. some of them probably didn't have the money to go to college or start their own business or whatever. Buy their own house, all that stuff. That's mm-hmm. true. But I mean, the thing is now everybody's trying to be a YouTuber and an influencer, which I mean, hey, if you have a niche right. and you have like a legitimate talent and you have something that you're contributing to the zeitgeist and you're actually trying to use what you're finding instead of just putting clickbait out there then mm-hmm. all power to you i wish i wish you all the success you earn and you deserve mm-hmm. like i'm not going to get mad at a hustle but now people like influencers up there with kids wanting to be lawyers or doctors or um like what's something else people wanted to do past Engineer. i'm not talking about engineer yeah i'm not I'm, I'm like past like firefighter police officer like the, <laughs> right, I mean, <laughs> but i mean like you know like an engineer or like a marine biologist or mm-hmm. like a dental technician or something like that no it's just influencer I lifestyle think, blogger what does that even mean <laughs> beauty hack makeup artist <laughs> nail tech <laughs> I everybody's feel like, a nail tech now right everybody so many people because they see someone else do it and they think it's easy they're like oh that's the easy way to get rich and i'm like mm-hmm. the youtuber that you follow probably made videos for like eight years before oh you'll never see them they were. right you will never see them the, the all the dark days do yeah. you know how many danielle and i'm on this this is a uh, purple diary podcast exclusive <laughs> how much music i wrote really trying trying to <laughs> blow up i'm like i only need what <laughs> can you give us a book recommendation uh absolutely um there's this book that i read and i before y'all say anything this isn't topical this isn't because of all the yeah. stuff going on with um you're thinking I'm going one way, I'm going another. Um, this isn't about all that's going on with August Alcina. Like this isn't what? because of this isn't this isn't about Will Smith. But the original book that the I Am Legend movie was based on, I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, is easily one of my is easily one of my favorite books mm-hmm. ever. One of the few books that I don't read for fun anymore. 
my uncle wrote a book, Shameless Plug, Bugging a Brother's Tale by Donald F. Taylor. You Jr. have it with you? But, um, <laughs> I had the support. I bought it. Mm-hmm. I read the first chapter. Did you like it? I read the first page. <laughs> but um, the first <laughs> I mean, I have it. So eventually I'm going to get bored enough and I'm going to read it. Anyways, um, it's it's um, on the all ebook reading software and Amazon and everything. Bug and a Brother's Tale, Donald Taylor, sorry. But, um, <laughs> I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. Nothing like the movie. Mm. It's a lot. Oh, really? At all. The movie's probably the closest adaptation because I think there were three or four movies, I might be wrong, that were based off of this book. There was Omega Man and uh, <laughs> there was uh, I Am Legend. There was The Last Man on Earth. Think, and I think those were the main three and there's like a bunch of other smaller ones but this one Robert Neville the character is a white dude who is living his whole life trying to figure out this cure trying to figure out this vampire scourge not these zombie night stalker or whatever things that are like super strong and everything and these vampires could talk there were like the dead ones that are like reanimated corpses and then there's the living ones that are infected with whatever virus and those ones like still talk, they still have society and everything like that, but you didn't see it at first. You see it as Robert Neville out here trying to save the world from vampires. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to ruin the ending, but I mean like <laughs> you start seeing that sometimes, sometimes the white man is the bad guy. I mean, no, but actually sometimes, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you're the actual monster and not just the demons that you're hunting or that you've created a war for. Mm. and it it just shows it's a lot about perspective it's a lot about um looking into yourself being introspective realizing your role in the world and in circumstances and every time I read it I think I'm on like read through number 12 Mm -hmm. it teaches me something else which is weird because I literally have not read for fun outside of that book in excuse me a little bit less than a decade and that book and still still will just i'll bring it with me everywhere i'd oh. read it driving if that was legal hmm. <laughs> you that was, that's why we have audiobooks yeah, yeah exactly but i mean i'd actually just want to read it like oh what happens next even though i know exactly what happens next but Great. do you have a book recommendation for me so i can try and start reading i have a list a mile long but i'd love to get another book on it hmm. oh a book i think you would really like if you're into that it's called Lakewood. Um, it's about this girl who's basically strapped for cash. Like her mom has really crazy medical bills. And so she submits to this government research study. And like coincidentally, all the people who um, submit to the study are like either people of color or they're poor people or they're old. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the people that society is like useless. Um and they just start doing crazy shit to them, like pushing their bodies and their minds to the limit. Um, but she doesn't leave. Like none of them leave because they need the money and it pays really, really well. Um, and it's just a really good, it's freaky, like seeing all the stuff that they make them do and reading about how they treat them. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also just really good commentary on what, poor people are forced to do to make ends meet. Oh, absolutely. Hold on. And who is this by? Uh, Megan Giddings. 
I got to interview her for the podcast too. Yeah, no, it showed up when I when I searched up Lakewood. It was number thirty one. <laughs> how to be a writer. I mean, I guess I have to listen to that one too now. But um, yeah, she's, hopefully, she's no so spoilers. No, there's no spoilers in the book or in the episode. Uh, there's a bunch word. of spoilers in the book because it's the book. But oh, <laughs> so that's how that works. Right. right cool. Yeah. If you read the story, then it spoils the story. But that might be the next actual new book I read. Yeah, I I think it's great. I'm trying to balance reading like new black authors and their books, even though there's so much like history to read. Yeah. Um, but I want black authors to keep putting out books. So if we don't buy them, then people will think that no one's interested in reading them. And yeah, true. If there's no demand, then how is it going to maintain a supply? Right, because there's already this idea that Black stories are really only for Black consumption, and how could a white person possibly be interested in reading this, um, which is ridiculous. But Absolutely. Yeah, I try, try. I'm trying to balance it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's definitely a, a good thing to balance, because I, you know, just, I can't read. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I mean, I that's how it feels sometimes. Because again, I'm just like, why would I do this when I can just go to sleep? But you know, right? It is what it is. We all have our ways to cope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, last question: What mm-hmm. is your dream for your life's work? What impact do you want your life to have on the world, um, even after you're gone? Well, I I mean, this is cliche because I definitely just want to leave a better place than when I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite sure what that is yet. I know that I have a certain set of skills. Shout out to Liam Neeson from taking, <laughs> but um, I I know what I know some things that I'm good at, and I just want to be able to maximize those skills and bolster my weaknesses so that I can positively affect as many people as possible before I leave this mortal coil. Like I want to be able to. I don't know. Mentoring was fun. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I don't have the life experience or the um, credentialing, you know. If I were to get a graduate degree, it'd be in like counseling or human resources or mm-hmm. something like that. But I just, I do like to make people feel good. I um, do like to help and listen. So if there's a way that I can do that at an individual level, help somebody, one person, or I don't like a macro level and do public speaking or come up with some concepts, some big, widely applicable, peer-reviewed, overarching institution that I can have grow and develop as it's tossed around by all these intellects and, and students. Mm-hmm. And that could be something. I'm, like, you know, the Voltaire's, the Nietzsche's, the um, Tom, like, there's just so many different schools of thought. I don't want to be that big, of course. I'm not trying to be Socrates. Like, I don't need to do that. But it if could I could create be, some, I could be. I don't want to set that um, l- limit to myself. But, you know, just something living. I don't want to c- discover one thing and have it be done. I want to be able to help us all reach some certain understanding about some particular topic and have people dispute it and refute it and prove it. Mm-hmm. and have it learn and grow with people as like a living part of knowledge like I just want to contribute to the knowledge of the world somehow 
That's awesome. I think that's a good legacy to leave, to want to create dialogue about something that lives beyond you. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like you speak very well about your experiences with mental health in a way that could apply to a lot of people and could, I mean, it's not ever going to stop existing. I feel like that is something that could exist beyond you. That could be something. Just tell people, you know, get your head checked out. (laughs) Worst thing that that can happen is you can learn how to improve. (laughs) Right. Well, I hope that you achieve that. And I, it was very good talking to you. I haven't seen you in like a year. Yeah, it seems about right. Yeah, but thank you for having me because this was very pleasant, the conversation, but also just what you're doing with your platform. Like I told you before, this is just awesome. And I'm glad you're able to make the change and provide this insight for other people that are listening. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was very good having you on. Do you want to plug your social media? I barely use it, honestly. (laughs) I mean, if anybody plays Pokemon Go, hit me up. I like I like Pokemon, but uh, that's really all I'm about right about now. But thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> no problem. Okay, well, um, yeah, everybody go check out I Am Legend. That's the name of the book, right? Yes, by okay. Richard Matheson. So mm-hmm. R-I-C-H-A-R-D, Math Eason. So M-A-T-H-E-S-O-N. Perfect. Well, thank you for being on and thank you everyone for listening. I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye.